Hi, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the End of Sounds podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by another Belfast Patrick McNally, how are you? Very well, mate. Thanks for having me on. Big fan of the show, so yeah. glad to be on. No worries, man. I'm glad you listened to another podcast. We're kind of up and coming, but we're getting there. I think about Definitely. nine weeks in existence now, but we're getting bigger followers on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube especially, so slowly but surely, a Brexit place. But we'll go on to what, what, what we're going to talk about today in terms of you playing for Celtic and your move. But before we get to all that, I want to I want to go back to the very start. So, in terms of the love of the game, love of football, for me it would have been an in the street playing with your friends with two jumpers down as goalposts. Was was it pretty much the same for you at a young age? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, playing games like that, my very my earliest memories would have to be. I've been going across to Glasgow watching Celtic since I was about three. Um, Obviously, can't remember anything. That was obviously in the nineties. But um, <laughs> my dad, my dad used to take me. He used to take me across probably every week, every second week. So if it wasn't at Salty Park, it was at Solitude. So that was sort of my memories of football. And as you say, just kicking a ball a bit in the street and in school. But from a very early age, it was it was drilled into me, like, um, and I probably wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, you're hundred percent right. At least you got somewhere. I just ended up on the streets playing football. And that's that's as far as it got for me. I was just to- totally shite. But I, I mean, how does it go from playing in the street to going to the likes of Cliftonville? How does how does that process take take shape? Um, I suppose everyone's different. Um, I played. I actually I, I played football on the street obviously for my whole youth. Um. I was never big into the PlayStation or anything like that. I don't even know if it was about then. Probably a PlayStation 1 or something, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> um, So I just I signed for a club when I was nine, or like proper like organised football. And I was signed for the Mac in West Belfast and then went to New Hill Lane. I played for North Belfast, which is a team in the New Lodger. Um, and then there was two coaches that so obviously doing rightly and playing away and enjoying it. Didn't really think much of it. I was just enjoying playing with my mates. Um, and then there was two Clinville coaches. Clinville used to take a team to the USA Cup, like a select team. Um, and then they approached me, Danny and John Clarkland, to go to America and play in the USA Cup for Clinville. And then when I came back, Danny was just straight on to me saying, do you want to come and sign permanently for us? And that was it, really. I signed for Clinville then and never looked back, really. Um, what is that? What was that? Uh, I was probably about 13. Um, thinking back, yeah, I was probably about 13. Um, yeah. and so I didn't actually stay at Clinville too long. Um, progressed pretty, pretty quick when I went to Clinville, to be honest. Everything started kicking off for me then. Um, whether it be probably more scouts going to watch their games and maybe local clubs, I don't know, but um, I just kind of kicked on when I went there. And, and the likes of Clinville, their youth academy, like the structure side of things. Was there like a clear development plan for as young as 13 years old? Yeah, I mean, certainly for me, I think at the time it was Kyle Spears that was the head of youth at Clinville. Um, Jared was still there, Jared Lawler. So, um, yeah, so Kyle looked after that. My two coaches were obviously, you know, Danny and John, who were absolutely different class. I don't even think the two lads do it anymore, which is a shame because they were, they were different class with me and everyone else. But, um, Started playing there, quickly sort of was playing in my own age group and then before you know it, you're getting pushed up to the, the older age group and then you're getting pushed into the youth team and then I ended up even playing some games for the reserves when I was about 15. Um, 
So if they see if they see something in you um, as a club, even back then, like they were certainly trying to push you through the ranks pretty quick, which was it's only going to benefit me, and it did to be fair, long term, you know. Yeah, I mean, I myself like I'm not going to pretend to say I'm a big Clevenville supporter, but I've been to a few mm-hmm. games. I've been to a couple of games where they've clinched the league title under the, the late great Tommy Breslin. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen some celebrations, and I was actually at the Clevenville Derby game when they were over. But as mm-hmm. as you said, when when you were in the youth, the youth with Clemville when you first signed them and things kicked on. So the progression, how quickly were you doing for free to age group? Was it just bang, bang, bang? Um, yeah, so the first one, I, I think I don't, I don't think it did the first year. And then the second year, when you're kind of under 15, 14, 15, um, I was playing regularly in the international squads and going to the Euros at under 17 level and, and 19s and stuff like that. But um, So I started playing... So basically, I know we were actually talking um, before the call about um, playing as many games as you can as a kid. So I used to play on a Friday night for Clinville Youth Team or the Reserves at Solitude. And then on the Saturday morning, I was up in Lisburn playing for the under-15s. So played a game for the Reserves or the, or the Youth Team, um, whatever it may be. And then on the Saturday morning, I was back playing on my own age group. So I'd basically done that loads. Um, I don't know how, I could never do it now, but as, as a kid, you could run all day. So... Um, and it was amazing. So what, what else would you want to do other than playing? And then obviously, I was obviously putting myself up against a lot of older lads um, on the Friday. And then obviously when I came to Saturday, it was making that playing against my own age that wee bit easier. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I know what you mean. When you're younger, you can you can run for days. And I, I look at my daughter now, she runs about the room, never out of breath. And I'm going, I wish I could do that. I'd be on my face <laughs> if I'd done that. But like, see... See the way that, as you said, you're playing on the Friday, you're playing on the Saturday, and you touched upon the international side of things, like going to Euros with, I'm, I'm guessing, Northern Ireland at that time, the under, yeah, under 17, yeah. under 18 level. Yeah. So, the international experience as well, how much did that help you? The, it was brilliant because, as I say, I was speaking about being at Clemville as a kid there. Um, I started going across a lot of English teams, um, back and forth on trial. And you're obviously from 14, it was basically traveling back and forth to England at different clubs. And you're basically trying to gear yourself up to get yourself a contract. So when you're 16, I mean, I wasn't great in school and I certainly didn't want to stay on in school. So here's me, I'll have a wee go at this football arc and see, and see where it takes me. So, um, <laughs> so I was playing football and I just basically wanted a contract. So it was great. Um, so it was actually back and forth and, and, and I had a couple of the offers lined up and stuff. And then... It was actually when I was away playing for Northern Ireland, uh, a few of those opportunities arose for me, and none other than obviously the Celtic opportunity that came from me playing an international game away. So, all right, so if I let the sort of thank for it, then in terms of develop, you're, you're playing against the best players of that country. Do you know what I mean? You're playing against the, the yeah. best they have. So, even with things like concentration, you can never ever switch off, you know, the level's higher. Um, depending on what nation you're playing against, some of these players were absolutely ridiculous. It was some yeah. some step up. Name one. Well, we played Spain in the Euros, and as much as I can't remember too many individuals, my God, we could be a 5 1. Um, and Ram McLaughlin gets sent off after 20 minutes, and Ram is our best player. Um, so you're just thinking, wow, here we go. Um, but they ended up getting beat 5 1. Gerard Delafay scored a hat trick that game, and he went on to play for AC Milan. And, uh, what for so, um, so things like that and at that time I was still playing part time for Clemville I was training twice a week at Solitude so to put that into respect yeah. he was he was training with Barcelona's first team I'm near sure at that time so um, 
But I mean, it's great <laughs> to even come up against that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's memories and experiences that you'll probably never forget. Like, yeah, I mean, the, the likes of the Spain squads, and you're playing against our best best ages at that level anyway. Delafeu, he's lightning fast. He he's a menace, especially running towards the defenders and things. Especially in the Premier League, you see some cracking clips mm-hmm. of him in the match of the day sometimes. But going back a wee bit, you, you touched upon the, the international scene brought you to like different clubs in England across the water. And was there any club that was close to taking you on before you went to Celtic? Yeah, I was probably up as much as it wasn't saying or anything, I probably had in my head that it was going to sign for Hull. It was back and forth, like all the summer breaks, Easter breaks from school. I used to go across and spend my week or a week and a half over in England at Hull. Um so it was very, very close to signing for them. Um, and Leicester and Stoke also offered me a contract to go over too. So um, I was very, very lucky in that I had options even before Celtic came in. Um, but once they did come in, then it was obviously, there was only one one team I was going to sign for. Like, and that was obviously Celtic because, as I say, I come from a, mass, like a mad Celtic family and Celtic daft myself, even still now. Um, so there was only one winner there, and as I say, I was very, very fortunate and lucky that um, sort of opportunities arose for me at those times. Yeah, and touched upon as well. You mentioned that Celtic actually watched you in one of your away international games. Can you remember what game that was? Uh, yeah. So I think um, we were playing Slovakia away, um, and as I said, I mentioned Holler. Um, I'd obviously been back and forth a lot. Um, so on the team, on the international team sheets, they'll give your name and right beside it what club you represent. Um, yeah. and, on, and on the team sheet, my name obviously, and then beside it, I, I obviously thought it was going to say Clinville because I was never on a pro contract or anything there. Um, it said Hull, but I was actually unattached. So um, the Celtic head of youth, Chris McCart at the time, Chris obviously still is Celtic head of youth now in the air Um He was there watching Paul George, who was at Celtic at the time. Um, yeah, George yeah. Good mate of mine. So we were on the plane on the way back, and Georgie's come up on the plane and says, "Here, Chris is only off the phone to me. He wants to bring you over to Salt Lake." But I thought he was obviously taking a piss out of me. Like, here's me out there on cracker. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, "No, no, serious, mate." He says, "Um, on the team sheet it says you're you're obviously at Hull, but I told him obviously you were you hadn't signed anything." So about a week later, I went over and played a game against Hibs at Barfield, and that's when I started going back and forth at Salt Lake. That's, that's amazing. So basically, it all started from you think you get your wind up call by Paul George. He walked up the plane, and I was sitting at the front of the plane. He was at the back, and he says, um, uh, Chris McCart was on the phone. He wants to bring you over and have a look at you. And I was like, oh, no way. And then uh, it turned out it was true. So they contacted like my parents and um, Clinville, and then I went over to Celtic and probably got invited back a couple of times. Tier three, maybe, um, and then they offered me a contract to come over permanently the summer after. So uh, I was over the moon, delighted. Like, so, see, before you, like you took them steps when you're joining Celtic, you're going over on a weekly basis doing training and playing some games against clubs. The likes of like Chris McCart, I've heard a lot of stories about Chris McCart, especially from former players saying he's a he's a great influence and he, he's great with the youth. Did you have any personal experiences with? Yeah, I mean, Chris dealt with everything. Um, whether it be the contract, making over, even when it was over, it was, you're only a kid, really, or a baby. So he always checked in on you. Chris was very tough. Um, Chris tested you mentally. Very, very good. I never understood it at the time, but I remember when I was a pro then, a couple of years later at Lennington, I spoke to him about it. And one of the things he always used to say was, the reason he's always, he's like that on the kids, um, 
is because if he doesn't prepare you mentally to be a football player, especially it's out there, he goes, if, if you can't you know, handle me sort of criticising you or giving you constructive criticism from the side, um, how are you going to handle 60,000 people doing it if, you, if you're lucky enough to go and play in our first team? So that was probably one of the best yeah. bits of advice I've, I've ever gotten in football, to be honest. Um, yeah, obviously, as a kid, it's very natural that you're going to start feeling sorry for yourself at the time, but I think it helps, yeah. like even, you know, coming from here and I kind of had them experiences anyway, so it didn't bother me too much, but I always look at that bit of advice and, it, and it's something I carry with me. Um, yeah. But obviously brilliant, very, very, as a, you know, standards through the roof, demanded the best every day. And if, I mean, believe me, if you, were, if you weren't doing it, even in training, you were, you were, you were found out about it, like, and he, and he, and he called you in and, and let you know. So, but no, yeah. overall, um, probably you know a very great uh, a good influence ultimately he's yeah. the one who let me go but <laughs> um so I, I learned an awful lot at the um, time you, like you can't, yeah exactly you don't realize you said, sometimes you, yeah you don't realize what they're actually trying to do for you and then once you come away from that that situation you're like shit that's what he was trying to do for me do you know what i mean exactly. but that, that's the way it goes sometimes but exactly. see touched upon the pressure and stuff i i used to crumble when a manager of my local team used to shout at me on the pitch, I used to fall into a shadow. <laughs> I can only, I can, I can only imagine what it'd be like for you guys. So you're coming over from Kevinville and you're going to train with Celtic before you've even signed a contract. What's it like when when you go to train at Barrowfield, like with all the younger players in in the Celtic's academy? Is the level just steps ahead? Yeah, I mean, playing for when you're training with Celtic, it is the levels night and day. Have to be honest. As much as we have good individual players over here, see the actual tempo of the full session with all them players, it's it's night and day, and it takes us some getting used to. Um, as I say, we, we, we do have, and we produce still to this day, we still produce cracking players from Belfast, but um, hmm. that was just a, a different kettle of fish altogether when I, went to, when I went to Celtic. And see in terms as well, like when, when you're first going over, and you, you like the players and you're training on the pitch and you're you're getting used to your teammates. Who can if you can remember who stood out at that time, even before you you signed a professional contract with Celtic? Um, before I went over, um, Paul George stood out for me right away. He was incredible. Um, always remember like growing up playing against him. He was playing for Celtic boys, and always remember it. But when I went over there, he was Georgie was even head and shoulders over everyone over there, which I couldn't get my head around. So that's obviously a testament to how good he was. Um, I think I think the young lad. I, I didn't I didn't know him, and certainly when I signed full time, he wasn't there anymore. When I, when I was going over on trial a lot, your boy Islam Farouz was there, and he was what a talent he was. Um, yeah. Uh, but off the top of my head, it's very difficult to say. I can't really remember. I was very very focused on myself trying to earn myself a contract, but. Um, obviously, we'll probably go on to speak about a few of the lads um, <laughs> when, it, when they actually That's, signed. <laughs> so, as you, as you said, right, you're going over and you're focusing on yourself. You're doing the right thing, obviously, trying to get yourself your professional contract with the club you love. So, mm-hmm. when they offer you, when they actually do offer you that contract, Patrick, what's the feeling? Like, talk me through it because for me, I'd probably be bobbing like a little boy, cramming my eyes out. <laughs> um, it, was, it was strange. Like, I was actually. I was up in my girlfriend's house, um, and then when I came back down, so I was up in, yeah, I was up in her house, and um, my dad phoned me, and he was like, uh, Stokes, he's only away from the door, and I was like, what? He's like, oh, Anthony Stokes, and Jerry was there, so Jerry was major at the time, and he also represented Stokes. 
so Jerry brought the contract down and brought Stokesy down with him, which I thought was a great touch, but um, yeah. I wasn't even in. <laughs> I was out. So <laughs> when, I, when I came back down, my dad had the contract sitting there and me and him just went over it and um, it, it happened like that. But I, honestly, I couldn't believe it. Like, I was gobsmacked. As much as I knew I had a contract to go to in England, I, I just didn't think that I was going to go to Celtic, if you know what I mean. And maybe that's me just yeah. not having confidence in myself at the time, but I just didn't think that I mean, just a huge club like that, like, and the club that I loved um, ever since I was a wee boy, like, it was, it was some feeling, I have to be honest there. It, it doesn't really strike me as something that I haven't confidence in yourself, not being able not to go to Celtic, but what I would take from it, you had the contract offers on, on the table from England, but you're, you're looking for that better option and you're hoping Celtic come in as you were going over on training and stuff, and as you rightly said, you're focusing on yourself and you want that to pay off. I, I wouldn't really say it was a confidence issue where you're doubting yourself, but obviously you're right. A big club like Celtic, you're thinking to yourself you're you're a number in the door maybe, and they're not going to give you that contract. But when it comes, you're you're sitting just delighted, and you just want to sign it as quick as you can. I imagine anyway. But see, That's, yeah, when 100%. go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. I've just it was a great with you. Yeah. No, but see as well, Patrick. So when you sign the contract, it, it always like I always want to know about it anyway. So what's the process? Do they move you into accommodation over in Scotland, or is it like a gradual process? Moving over slowly but surely. Um, no, so I think that may have been it was about six months. So I got offered this contract about six months before I even finished school. Um, and then obviously you, you finish your term in school, and once you finish fifth year, um, I think I went over on the first of July and moved into uh, with a family in Glasgow, um, really outskirts of Glasgow. Um, and that's it you're just thrown right into it and this is what I always say to people people say oh is it gradual you know does your parents come over with you no they don't you're just thrown into it um, and you're basically becoming a man overnight you go from being a wee boy to a man overnight honestly um, Yeah. and as much as football you, you learn a lot in football I mean that was probably the biggest life lesson I've ever had as well um, yes you're being looked after brilliantly by, by the families um, and I, had a, I stayed in a couple of digs when I was over there but um, it's really you're you're carrying that weight on your own shoulder, like, and it's up to you. Then the you can go two ways. I mean, I got very homesick at the start, but um, you can either let that eat away at you and just give up, or um, eventually just have that in your mind that that's going to pass and look at the big picture. Um, thankfully, I did that. It's easy saying it now, but it was tough at the time. But um, everyone just thinks you're over living the dream. You're you're playing for Salt Lake. It's it's tough. It's tough as a kid, but um, as I say, it was. Thankfully, I stuck it out, and um, about six months in, you're basically Glasgow's your home, and I love I love Glasgow very similar, yeah. very similar to Belfast. I always say it's a it's a bigger version of Belfast. Um, it is, I think, so, in four main streets in Glasgow, that's it. the way yeah. it is in Belfast. So that's, that's exactly. Say, it, so. As, say as well, Patrick. Obviously, what you said there actually strikes a chord with myself because. You look at the young players that go to South and you think, wow, they've made it already. But you don't actually take into account what's going on in their own personal lives if they're homesick, especially if they're coming in 15, 16, 17. You, you, don't, you, you just don't know. And I've, I've heard Simon Ferry talk a lot about these like families that take, take uh, players in and they stay with them in terms of the accommodation. But how does that actually work? Do you just get chucked in with a family without a, a process of getting to know them? You're just chucked in? That's it. So I stayed in about four or five different digs when it was over on trial. You know, like you're, you go and stay with a family for a couple of days when you're, or whatever Aye. it is, that week. Um, so 
stayed in a couple, but the one that I actually moved into, I, I don't think I had met previously. Maybe maybe it stayed with him once. But anyway, it was free in. Um, great people, unbelievable people. Um, stayed there for about six months, but instead with um, an Italian boy and um, two Irish lads. Um, and then about six months, I actually requested the move digs. And it was nothing to do with the family that I was staying with. It was just I became really friendly with Owen O'Connell and Big Shane who stayed in the, the digs um, up the road and I just wanted to move in there because it just felt a wee bit more comfortable, you know, it was quite friendly with the lads and um, so I moved in there. So I actually had two families when I was over there and they were both great, to be honest. That, that, that baffles me because it's like you're, you're going over and you're thinking, well, I was thinking you would get your own wee flat or something in Glasgow that the club would pay for, but... <laughs> There's no way the club are letting you do that. (laughs) (laughs) There's no chance. Well, uh, can you imagine the Irish boys going over there and getting handed a flat? We'd be back within six months. (laughs) Six days, Patrick. Six days around six months. What's what's this mess on the floor? These beer cans. (laughs) But right, so so you've signed the contract. You've signed the contract, right? So we're talking about Lennox Town now. So the first day. Well, you're a professional for Celtic Football Club. What's it like? Um, so the way it works at Celtic, you sign you sign pro right away. Um, there's no like scholarship or YTS with the day in England or they used to. Um, you just sign a pro right away, and then I think the first year um, we trained at um, Barfield. Uh, get changed at Celtic Park every day. Sorry, we trained at Barfield and um, got our lunch at Celtic Park every day in the Jackson Lounge. Um, and then just went down the minibus to training and then come back up and done the gym at Celtic Park. Um, so that was like for the first year and a year and a half so. And then um, you eventually, I think the reserves in the first team train at Lennoxtown. Um, and then you just eventually move up to Lennoxtown to train every day. Um, which again was another step up because sometimes you're getting called to train with the first team. And um, I'm not going to lie, like you think it's brilliant, but at the time when you get that shout to go and train with the first team, like you're, you're an absolute nervous wreck. Um, because you literally just have to run a, you have to literally run from the bottom pitch to the top pitch where, where the first team train um, and just join in <laughs> but then you're going from training <laughs> with some of the lads that train them with superstars really and boys who you yeah. idolised <laughs> um, so you, you, go ahead you mentioned there as well you mentioned there as well so the standard when you go to Lennox Town and you're training with the reserves in between the first team what, what's that like is the intensity does mad is that, is that what it is? Just, it's just crazy? Yeah, well, I always noticed more often than that you were getting called up to train with the first team because there was injuries or there were shorter numbers. Like, it wasn't because you were getting pulled into the first team squad or anything. So, um, so you just had to go up and do your bit. But I always remember just the, the standard of training. Um, the, the the drive and the players, the train at, at a level was really learned me something, opened my eyes up. Um because you see all these lads around the around Anningstown joking, laughing, and all. But see once, see once to train like you can you can tell why they're born winners and they win titles and cups year after year because they were just relentless. Um, that's something I took with me, um, and I still try to apply when I'm playing football now. Um, it's just really invaluable experience that you're getting the actual experience firsthand. Again, you don't realize that at the time it until until you're nigh and you're out you're out injured for a year and you can, you can reminisce a wee bit, yeah. but. Um, but no, it was brilliant, mate, and the standard was ridiculous. But see the standard off the pitch? That was probably one of the biggest things. So when we get up, we'll be I... out to say to, we'll be out to say to Lennox Town, um, out the back door, cleaning 
40 pairs of boots for the first team after the train. We'll be drying their footballs if it's raining, pumping them up to the right temperature, um, getting the drinks for the first team ready. It was just you're you're just an apprentice, um, and you're basically yeah. there as the first team while you're there. But um, I don't know if that still happens. I'd be very disappointed if it didn't. But um, it certainly didn't do us any harm. Like, and looking back, it was it was an experience yeah. to remember. Like, I mean, as you said, there it strikes an eye like the modern day footballer when you're looking now at the young ages, they don't really go through that. As you said, pumping up footballs, uh, cleaning boots. It just seems to be a thing in the past. And it's, I think for me anyway, I don't know about yourself personally, but I think that would be a good grounding experience. Is that what you thought of it? Well, completely. Don't get me wrong, say the thing. Oh, it can be annoying this year. But you, you have to do it. That's part of your apprenticeship, so to speak. Um, I, I, I certainly think it is. And, and if, I was to, if I was to later in life be ahead of youth, it's certainly something I would, I would instill um, again if it wasn't there. Um, the coaches around the place, the kit men, you know, we Huey, our kit man in the 20s, and then you had John Clark, obviously, and there's guys, I guess, telling you to do something. You're going to do it, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, uh, look, it's doing me a good stead, and, and anyone that I've ever spoke to, it's it can do nothing but good for you. Um, again, it's it's about learning standards and having discipline, and, and and that's all a big part of it. I don't think the kids do it now, to be honest, and as you, if you uh, alluded to her a wee while back, or he's saying used to... Um, Crawl into a wee ball whenever you get shared off my sideline. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it helps you deal with things like that. Do you know what I mean? Because I see some kids even, yeah, yeah. even coming and training me off snap at the minute. And you're trying to give them constructive criticism during training and stuff. And they're just getting into a shell. And, and maybe that's not the way to deal with kids nowadays. Um, um, but for me, it was just getting abuse hurled at you left, right, and centre. And it didn't bother me either. So. <laughs> But listen, that's to their own. <laughs> I must be, I must be different from you. Then that's why I didn't make a plan for guys. I, cr- I crumbled. I literally crumbled into myself. But see, 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 before we move on to like the players you train with and characters and stuff within the team, I just want to touch upon Lennox Town. I see pictures of it, and for me, it looks amazing. And I, and no one ever really speaks about it in terms of facilities. But what's it like as a training ground and a facility? Uh the, I was going to say the best. Uh, it's up over the best I've ever visited. Like, um, I have played in different training grounds with Celtic. Um, I think we we with Celtic we played in the next gen series. We stayed at Sporting Lisbon's training complex. We trained there. Um, was it PSVs? We, you know, so we've travelled loads, and then I was over at uh, Man United in trial as well. It's right up where we all those training grounds. Like, um, it's unbelievable honestly so you've obviously got all your your pitches your 3g pitches you've got your indoor pitch you've got a you've got your games room for the first team the reserves and whatever um you've media rooms you've your canteen you've i think there's like 12 changing rooms um so you've got your first team changing room at the back door and then it's all the academy ones where the kids come in and train at night and then the the, the, the one close to the front door is the reserve one um in terms of facilities Everything's there for you to be a top player if you really want to. Like um, again, yeah. I wish I had this knowledge at seventeen, eighteen, <laughs> but you don't. You take it all for granted. Um, but it's you. You have the tools there to become the best player you could possibly be. Um, so there's no. Yeah. Uh, and again, you've you've the you've the right guidance as well because some of the coaches at Celtic are phenomenal. I I've seen recently like people coming on and giving John Kennedy a bit of flack saying ah, I don't want him to get the job and, all. and 
as much as everyone's you know um, can give their opinion and, and they're they're entitled to it. Um, John was one of my managers at Celtic, and in terms of like a man manager, and he put he put his arm around you, he coached you, he really cared about your development, not only the team winning, he really cared about you as a person as well. So um, he's people that got around you, and you can't go wrong really. So um, it's in your hands really when you're there. But um, as I say, what what a facility! Um, it's probably only yeah. going to get better as well. Yeah, I think they actually are talking about improvement and upgrading Barrowfield as well for the women's football. But thank, thanks for letting me know that. I mean, I've always been fascinated by Celtic's training ground. There, there's not enough footage of it for me. It just looks fantastic. The pitches just look pristine. And I might yeah. just be a geek about them sort of things, but they just look amazing. And I'm one of them people as well, Patrick. I mean, in, in the podcast, I always say I don't want John Kennedy as manager. Mm-hmm. And I'd be, I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be too disheartened if he if he departed Celtic. But I mean, if if he can aid people's development, maybe keep him in the youth youth academy, maybe put him in there at some point. But for me, I just don't think John Kennedy is the answer now for Celtic. But mm-hmm. instead of getting bogged down with the John Kennedy argument, I want to move on to some matches you've played in. Like you said, there you you played in the the next gen series in terms of staying with Sporting Lisbon and in, in their facilities. What what type of matches stick up stick out for you taking part playing for Celtic? Um, I can't remember games I played this season. I've only played it, and then again, Jordan. <laughs> um, yeah, I would probably say that tournament in terms of the, you got a real taste of what it was like to be a first team player, and and I mean that in the sense that the first team play weekend football on the Sunday, then they play Champions League Sunday, Champions League Sunday, Champions League Sunday. See the mentality. That you have to, to do to produce that week in, week out. It's it's incredible. I, I can never get my head around like Alexis Scott Brown, how he's done that for so many years. Um, just a machine, just a born winner. Um, so we got the experience that we got we traveled to different countries, stayed in nice hotels. Again, we stayed in uh, the sport in Lisbon one, we stayed in their training ground. So to have dorms, and that's where apparently like we were obviously getting the speech off of them saying this is where Ronaldo and Nani and all obviously lived and um and stuff like that there. Uh, nothing fancy. It was just literally a wee, um, just a wee bedroom, wee small TV in a in a room. Um, but I would probably say those games, in terms of because you're traveling away, you're getting that real experience of doing that. And I know we've done it with international teams, but this was the, their sort of trips where you're away for ten days, whereas these uh, were like you fly yeah. over on the Monday, you play on the Tuesday, you fly back on the Wednesday, and you're in training Thursday, preparing for the game on the Saturday. So this is yeah. what I, as I, as I said, either looking at people like Scott Brown, who's done it for 14 years, solid, and barely ever misses anything, plays with knocks, plays with injuries, has a pure mentality of just winning and succeeding. Um, I was never that good. I was never nowhere near it. But um, if I can take a wee bit from even their mentality, then um, it sort of stands you in good stead that way. Yeah. I think, I think, as you said, like the next gen series is like basically a mini Champions League, isn't it? For yeah, that's sort of football. That's so that's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, so was, you're yeah. getting that experience, as you said, of traveling to these hotels, and it's kind of giving you that taste of the what the first team do: the wearing the track suits, going to media conferences, playing in these games, staying in the nice fancy training complexes. But we'll we'll, we'll move on to the the types of players that then extend that you train with from your own personal point of view. What what guys? Just stood out in your mind when, when you were training with him on the pitch, thinking this is unbelievable. I'm training with these guys. Um, are you talking about like some of the first team boys that might have been around there at the time? But first team boys, reserve reserve players as well. Whatever, right, whoever okay. stuck in your mind. Or... Uh, 
there's a few. Um, if you look at boys like, obviously Paul George was there and was very very unlucky to get a, a serious injury. Um, John Hearn, who's now playing at Lauren. John's one of my good friend of mine. Um, Jack O. Jackson Irvine, who's gone on to have a great career in football, big Stu Finley. Yep. And then the one that sort of away stands out is, was is Colin McGregor, just because he's what he's been on to do. But I always say is Colin McGregor, you couldn't get the ball off this boy in a phone box. Like I haven't I have still <laughs> to this day never seen him give a ball away in training. And you know yourself when you've got a treat you're doing a session for an hour and forty minutes. You're bound to give a ball away a few times. Nah, not him. Ever. Um and Owen O'Connell, who's still one of my best mates this day, and like do you know Liam Henderson as well, who's playing at Lena. Yeah. Um, Hendo went up the train with the first team. He 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 went the, I think Hendo left Barfield instead of going to the reserves, which is your natural progression. He just left Barfield and went straight to the first team. And yeah, I, I can it, remember it watching. Him. I think it was in the gym one day, doing like just on the bike looking out the window. First team were training. And Hendo's running around demanding the ball off all the first-team senior players, like demanding it, saying, give me the ball, give me the ball. And I was like, wow. It shows you the mentality that we lot had. And there's no... Yeah. I mean, this this is why they go on and have great careers. I mean, he's living a life now in, in Italy. And, you know, what a life he's, he's set up for himself. So, boys, they got there. You had Tony Watt, Marcus Fraser, trying to name as much as I can remember here. But all lads who went, went on to, to do reasonably well. And even the boys that... Um, didn't go on to play football. They've, they've done well in business and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And this is where we're talking about standards. They're, sadly, they're turning you, they're turning you into a good, a good person, a good human. If you get me, um, you're you're getting yeah. hot values. You're getting and like discipline and you know and how punctual you are. But you can carry these sort of things into any walk of life, and you'll do well. So, um, players they got there were obviously all went on to do really well. And um, no, it was it was a pleasure to be there at the time. Like and. As I said to you before, the experience was was mad. But when you go to train with the first team, the level just goes up even more. Then it was it would scare you. Like um, I think at the time, there's going to be a massive name drop here. I can remember one of the sessions where Virgil Virgil was training, and my God, I can remember phoning my dad and just going, "Something saying the Dutch centre half here," and like he's getting the ball for goalkeeper in training and training and taking the pass players and putting balls in the top corner. Like how's this possible for a centre half? <laughs> um, <laughs> so he just blew my mind um, so oh, things like that it was great memories looking back and as I say as soon as you start talking about it the, it all starts flooding back you know yeah um, see as well Steve touched upon some of the players you actually mentioned before we move on to the likes of Virgil but like Jackson Irvine I always thought that he was a crackdown player when he played for Hull he was decent and then I think he's up and he's playing for Hibs now yeah, he's back at Hibs. And then, January, yeah, January, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Liam Henderson. Yep, again, what, what a player! A, what a pl- what a player! Left foot, like I could open a ten of beans. But like I thought he would stay at Celtic for years. I don't understand why they let him go. And then obviously you've got the likes of Tony Watt. Yeah, he's went on to have a good career as well. Um, um, Marcus Fraser as well. He's Marcus is playing every week for St Mirren. He was captain of Ross County and stuff there. Um, John Hearn has, has done really well as well. He was very unlucky. Yeah, so John he Hearn. He's got a couple of real bad injuries, but John was very well thought of at Celtic. Um, yeah. Good, and he's good, now, he's now good plug for Lauren, John Hearn, because he'll be on the show. He's coming on the show, so he is. Oh, John Hearn, he? which he, is great. He'll be buzzing at uh, him, drop them out, won't he? Um, I think, actually, <laughs> he up. played a few games in the first team, so he'd be a good one to get on, actually, John. Yeah. No, that's, it's the as well, with, with, as a young player, right? 
these types of guys, Cal Max obviously the one that stands out in terms of he's went on to actually stay with Celtic and play. Like, as you said before we came on earth, 60 odd games a season this guy's playing. He, he never seems to run a break a sweat on the pitch. But see on, on the actual training the training ground with the first team players. So you you mentioned Virgil van Dijk as well. What other guys were you training with at that point? And you're thinking, wow, this, this is unbelievable. Um, as I said at the time, you were very lucky to even get up that first team and see, to be honest, like, as I said, most of the time it was just when someone was injured or nailing at numbers. But listen, I was happy to, <laughs> if I got the shout under those <laughs> circumstances. Um, the, the only one that's already spoke about him, but Scott Brown, like, it's yeah. minus 20 in Glasgow and I have a snood and hat and gloves and everything on and this boy's walking out with a t-shirt and shorts on and, just, and a skinhead <laughs> with just pure the look of steel like he just as I say he could just flip it when, when, when training started he was just on it Um, I know he says he plays you know we've just went on about how good his career has been like but day in day out he produced this like and it's still I still can't get my head around how consistently you can do that um, I suppose the top players are the only ones that can do it and that's why they get all the accolades but um, I would probably say he was the biggest standout hands down yeah. as, as you said I think there was at one point Celtic went to Russia and it was like minus like 30 odds and he was still wearing the, the t-shirt and the and the shorts and you're going what is wrong with him does he not feel like cold he's been an absolute legend for Celtic Football Club and obviously it's coming to the end of the season and on the worst of circumstances, as we didn't complete the 10, and it's just been a catastrophe, do you know what I mean? But Scott Brown, for me, as you said, he just stands out. I mean, I'm 26, so he's been the best captain that I've ever remembered supporting mm-hmm. Celtic. Or, and he's been a constant in the team for the last 14 years since he signed from Hibs. And yeah, them type well, of guys are, them type of guys are like a damn breed as well in the game. And you go from Scott Brown and who you're going to end up with, but I'm actually glad you mentioned this, Scott Brown. It brings me on nicely to characters, even within your squad, because I'm sure Tony Watt and Marcus Fraser, I'm sure they have st- some stories about them, but who who was like the biggest characters or the biggest influences in the reserve teams and the first team? Obviously, Scott Brown is going to be the biggest for the, res- the first team, but in terms of the squad that you were mainly in? Um, oh. Hold on. It's a tough one. Um, I, I think the likes of... Um, you had Georgie who was chirpy and funny and he was always in the jokes with John who was a big character because jo- John was a captain so John laid by example on the pitch um, and then you'd call, you'd call him who was just like you know the one liner king like would just come in with a few but, um, and then obviously the likes of Tony um, Owen O'Connell was a big character for me because Owen was probably my best mate that I met at, at my time at Celtic um, Owen at, a, at an early age, understood football in a way that I couldn't. Like he seen, he seen big pictures, um, and I couldn't believe it. But he always laid by example on the pitch. Almost was always brave and took a ball under pressure. Um, and for me, that's the biggest type of character. Um, if you can, um, if yeah. you can go out and, and demand the ball under pressure, he was a centre half as well, but very, very graceful on the ball. Um, yeah, just a couple of young boys. Um, big Jackal was a good, a good big lad, great lad actually. Um, you know. Always had a smile in his face. Always trained hard, and um, uh, there wasn't short of a few characters. As much as he wasn't in my team, but we were in the same dressing room. Um, Slaney was hilarious. Like, <laughs> like, like, like I mean, like th- this boy was my god. Like, um, well, give me, sure you've seen, sure you've seen all the 
I'm sure you've seen all the open goal stuff of him, like, but I, yeah. <laughs> I probably don't even touch the surface. Um, he's, he, he was some boy, like, um, he was more, now to be fair, he was older than me, and he was, I think he went out on loan a few times, so I didn't have much dealings with him, but, um, we'd have been in the same dressing room for a period of time. Um, he was brilliant. Um, I probably can't tell you any stories, to be honest, mate, um, on this anyway. <laughs> Um, but I there was there was there was no there was no short of a few characters um and and the in both dress rooms I would imagine that I never traveled with a first team or anything so um I couldn't really comment but just seeing the boys about and and how they went about it um there was a big I have to give probably give Paddy McCord a mention as well because when I was a kid there Paddy was one of the ones that was but never would have passed me always come up the ass how I was getting on and See when you say who was the players you trained with for, I didn't even mention him, and I can't believe I haven't because I, this guy, this guy was ridiculously good. Like his first touch, the way he took a ball past people. See, when he got the ball, you you wouldn't go within four yards of him because you knew he was going to just make an absolute see you next Tuesday off you, or nutmeg you or do something. He was unbelievable. Got to play one or two reserve games with him too, and probably the most gifted player I've ever seen live. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you on that one. I think he scored some memorable goals at Celtic. The only problem that seemed to be was his fitness. It's not something that strikes you when you were training with him. What, was he fit as the other players or was he as quick? But he never seemed to have lightning pace, but he just seemed to make mugs out of people. No, he wasn't a big athlete, like. but I mean, if you if you know football, you find a way yeah. of getting him in your team, don't you? Like, you, ha- you just have to get him on the pitch because he wins a game in a split second. Um, yeah. So that was that was the one that always baffled me as well, Steve. I, I I don't know how he didn't play more games, but anyway, who was who am I to say that? But um, in terms of ability, different level, different level from anything yeah. I've ever seen, and even still, I, I think he could take players on in his sleep the way he goes past people. It's it's never it's, it's never like lightning skills or like do you know what I mean? Like rainbow flicks and all that. He just takes it past them with with his feet. Just a, like a low centre of gravity, he can dip his shoulder left and right. Then a very throwback player. Um, I'm not comparing him to him, but if you watch clips of Jimmy Johnston, it's that type. You know, he doesn't do step overs. Yeah. He just takes a ball and drags it past people. And that's a joy to watch. A joy to watch. And most, most kids right. now, are, most footballers now are robots. Certainly in the Premier League, they're robots. They're just big athletes. Yeah. Um, and it's very rare to see a player like that, you know, so... Hopefully we can produce a few more, but he was some player, man, honestly. Yeah, 100%. But see as well, obviously you said there about Paul Slim, and you can't mention really any stories that he was involved in due to his media profile at the minute. But <laughs> if, if, if there's any stories within the time you were there, what, what stands out? Any funny moments? Any pranks on players? Does anything stand out for you? Uh, my memory's shotgun, by the way, so please excuse me, mate. Um... <laughs> I there was uh, just around about the dress room and I can't remember whose car it was. It may have been it may have been Bruden, a tige. It may have been his car or that's Robbie Thompson. I can remember. I remember one day at Lannistown anyway. So driving in it was in, was he out A three or something? Um and do you know the stickers, mate, that you have in your office and you write notes on? <laughs> yeah. When it, yeah. the boys went out and covered his car. So his car's black. I covered his car in multicolored <laughs> stickers and parked it. In between the goal on the 3G pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so when we look out of, when we look up, we were up the stairs and we're looking at the boys are like, oh, I look out the window there. 
and there's a early A3 part in the middle of a, the the 3D pitcher at the front of Lanny's Town in between the goals. <laughs> Stuff like that went on every day. The, ban- the banter was unbelievable. It was the best job in the world, honestly. Now, since then, I've went on to work in like office environments and all as well. But oh, that is the best job in the world, honestly. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, if someone could take someone's car and put post it notes over it and stick it in the goal, I mean, that is the best job ever. <laughs> take that. Oh, man. Honestly, that's uh, quality. But see, see as well, Patrick. Obviously, we haven't really touched upon the coaches and stuff that were involved with you. What coach was a great influence for you in and around Celtic Park or Lennox Town or Barrowfield? Who's the one you took like, most inspiration from when you were learning? Um, there was a coach called Mio, Mio Drag. Um, he used to play for Motherwell. And they're sure Mio won the European Cup. Um, uh, that was in the 80s or something. Can't remember anyway. He was there and he took the 16s. He was always great with me. Um, and it was that was mostly when I was going over back and forth and I was still living here. I would probably have to say John Kennedy, to be honest. Um, because John always took time to try and... I was a centre-half and John always took time to, to try and, you know, improve you as a player. And he was always checking in on you. And he delivered a great session. He spoke really well. He just had, a, he just had everything about him. Um, and then you also had so much respect for him as well because I'm probably the age where I've seen him play. Um, I'm sure you are yourself. Um, yeah. And so you just right away, you've got that respect for him. Not that you didn't have respect for all the coaches, of course you did. Um, but the likes of him and um, Chris McCart, Tommy McIntyre, um, Stevie Frail as well, was a great guy and, and, and done great things for Celtic. Um, and then you have Danny McGrain, who's just, Danny McGrain is just the, the absolute legend of all legends. Um you know, he, he's just kind of there putting his input in. He's, he's in the background. But um, again, Danny does an unbelievable job. So, um, yeah. you know, sh- you, you weren't short of a few decent coaches there. Like. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, I, th- I think now, especially, I always touch upon in the podcast about the Youth Academy. It's just so important going forward. And I think for me, the next management team needs to get that spot on because the whole transfer situation is going to change regarding Brexit. But just touching upon the pathway to the first team now, you, you named a few cracking players within the new setup. So you had Paul George, John Harlan, Jackson Irvine, Stuart Finney, yourself, Patrick McNally, Tom McGregor, Owen O'Connell, Liam Henderson, Tony Watt, Marcus Fraser. Was did you get the sense when you were training that there was an opportunity for young guys to progress, or was it they got so far and had to make the choice either to stay and stagnate or move on to a different club? Um, yeah, I think there definitely is a there is a pathway. <clears throat> The first thing is about that pathway is you have to be good enough to go and make it. Because um, yeah. if you're not, you're not staying in a club like Celtic, let's be honest. Um, which I found out. Um, but in terms of players like Callum and Owen and um, Tony and the, the Hendo and the rest of the boys have actually went on and played a wee bit. Um, they, they, they were top players. like So, yes, if you're good enough, you're old enough, you'll be thrown in. Um, I just think it's getting harder and harder over the years, even from now. Um, uh, to be some player to even make it in, um, you know, transfer budgets are going up. Um, they're banned players from all over Europe. Um, it's it's really really difficult. But as you say, the answer to the question is there definitely is a pathway. Yes, um, but whether you're good enough to make it, um, that's up to you. You know. Yeah, I I understand that argument as well. But I think what I'm more frustrated with, especially now. There seems to be a reluctance to put the, the youth in. Look at the season Celtic had, to be honest with you, Patrick. It's been a shambles. 
And you look mm-hmm. around within the squad depth, and Stephen Wells got his chance by just by luck. He never really got it by doing anything. And look, look, look at what he's done. He's probably one of our best players towards the end of the season. And the likes of David Turnbull, it just seems to me at the moment there just seems to be like a, a reluctance to put the the youth in or give them a chance. But I don't know. Maybe that's not for me to say. As you said, if they're if they're good enough, they will get in. And I think that's probably the right way to look at it. But I mean, you need that you need that pathway to be open and clear for players here in the youth academy, in my opinion. But as you, as yeah. you uh, rightly touched upon. Patrick, your time with the Sadly Football Club came to an end. So what was that process like for you? And how did you cope with it? Were you, were you, like, were you down about it? Did you beat yourself up about it? What, what was the process in your mind when that happened? Uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult. Like, um, <clears throat> Look, let me put this out there, first of all. I wasn't good enough to play for Sadly. And, and I know that now. Um, so there's no, um, there was no uh, any grudges held. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, you spend a few years somewhere, and you know, you become real close to it. I already had a real love for Celtic anyway, so um, it, it was tough. But um, I don't think at that age you can dwell on it. You know what I mean? You don't. I don't think you have time to because if you're out of football for six months, you're forgotten about. So you need to get back on it somehow. Um, so yeah, it was tough. It knocked me for six a wee bit without really even knowing. It's only like now when you look back that you know you. Probably, mm, probably wasn't right in the head there for a couple of months after that. It was probably still playing in the back of my mind, you know. Um, yeah. But, as I say, ultimately, was I good enough to play for Celtic first team on a regular basis? No, absolutely not. But, I still cherish every sort of memory I have from it, you know, so. And I'm enjoying yeah, it. I have I a mean, good life now. I'm enjoying it, so. Um, I don't I, uh, I don't have any regrets. Uh, exactly. There's no time for regrets in life, Patrick. You're 100% right then. <laughs> I think it's right, that, right as well to point out that it will affect you leaving a big club like Celtic and you're kind of stuck in limbo. Which brings me on to my next point. What was it like adjusting back to playing in the Irish League and back to the part-time training side of things? Was that something that you found hard to deal with going back to that? Or was it something that you took in your stride? Uh, no, struggled with it badly. Um, mentally, physically, couldn't cope with it. Um, and it wasn't just, I don't mean playing in, in the league. What... I mean, everything that comes with it, you know, you're only training a couple of nights a week um, where you're used to training five days a week. Um, the nutritional side of things, um, I sort of let go a wee bit. Um, the game's completely different. We were getting taught a game where, and see, I, I started at Clinville, then I'm at the Salt Lake, so I, never, I, I don't know what it's like to lose a game of football. So all I ever yeah. did was win. So again, you have to deal with the defeat. You have to sort of a way um, experience it to, to learn from it, I think. Um, so when I came back, no, I struggled for a wee bit, but uh, um, after a wee bit of time, I did adjust to it. Um, it's very, very tough. I had a job and you're playing midweek games away at Korean and you're working to five o'clock and you're straight in the car and you're eating a bit of pasta at a Tesco, no one in meal deals and you're driving down the motorway. See stuff like that. That yeah. just didn't happen to first team football. I always say it part time football is a lot harder than first team or full time football. Um, and I firmly yeah. believe that. I don't mean the standards or the standard. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is everything that comes with it. It's graft, isn't it? It's the pure, it's, it's the pure graft that they have to go through every every day to go to training, get out of work early. As you said, you're you're flying about Tesco, trying to find out to get sandwich for a quid, just to, just to feed yourself. <laughs> a quid? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? But the wages you get in the Irish League. But if I if I'm right, in what I'm saying, did, did you go back to Clevenville? Did you did you go back 
for a period unknown to Clive though as well. Yes, so just before I left Celtic, um, I went and spent a bit of time on loan. Um, 2014 season, so it was this, the, the last title Brazil won, um, God rest him. Um, so again, you're in that sort of environment, in that dress room, you, and you learned a lot because you're just with born winners. That team is probably Clinville's best ever team. I don't think anyone will argue with that. Um, yeah. So I spent a wee bit of time on it, and that gave me a wee bit of an insight into what sort of men's senior football was like, you know. So um, again, brilliant. Didn't play a lot of games. Um, certainly didn't play as much as I would have liked to, but again, I was probably an 18 year old kid. And, um, uh, looking back, you probably can't blame the coaching staff there, like, you know. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. And in terms of where we're at now, you, you said you're injured there. So what I want to ask you before we move on to the, the Eurofights and stuff, the younger players coming through now. So, the mentality set of things that you learned with Celtic when you were training, have you took that with you throughout your career? So, this injury, it's, it's a bad injury by all counts, but is the mentality set of things something you're strong with now? I would say it's probably now one of my biggest strengths. Um, whereas, it, it wasn't always, but I would say now with all the experience that I've gained over, uh, over the time, for a few knocks in football as well, um, which is why I think I'm not able to deal with this type of injury, for example, um, which I've never experienced before. But it was hell, to be honest, you know, when, when that injury happened. And then when we got the MRI scan and found out the, the extent of the damage, it, was, it wasn't great having that meeting with a physio and my manager. But um, as you say, all those times before, uh, and you don't even realise it, but just coming back from setbacks and knocks. And um, I have to be honest, this that's a piece of piss for me just because of what I experienced before. <laughs> Whereas, see, yeah. see, see if it had been the other way around and I, I, I didn't have many setbacks or knocks, um, I think I would have really struggled. So, um, as I say, I'm, I'm four months in. I've started doing rehab. I'm out of the leg brace and all now. So, uh, things are looking up, thankfully. That's great to hear. It's great to hear on the road, the recovery as well. I mean, that's the most important thing. Obviously, your health and well-being and getting back playing football regularly. But what would be... A bit of advice you would give a younger you, like a younger yourself, or any type of player coming through the systems at no age. What would be that advice if they're chasing the big time? Mm, see that that's I wouldn't I wouldn't say I wouldn't use that term if you get me. So so when I was a kid, it was when so when I was coming through then, obviously, and trying to make my way. Um, it was probably the start of social media that era. Um, yeah. So you get caught up in wow, look at the car he's driving or look at the house they have, I want that. Do you know what I mean? You start being motivated by the wrong things. So yeah, 100%. that's what was motivating me. Whereas see, seeing in, in reflection, what should have been motivating me was I want to win a trophy with Celtic. I want to earn that big contract which is going to set my family up. I want to do that. So that's the, that's the biggest bit of advice I would give the kids. See all this stuff on social media, people saying you're brilliant, this, you've got a car, you this. That's just outside noise. You just need to find a way to blank that out and focus on what's actually going to get you there. So I just think if, if, if you do all that and you eventually do all that sort of stuff, um, takes care of itself. Um, that would definitely be my biggest advice for any kids coming through tonight. Focus, um, focus on the right things and don't let yeah, outside this... influences motivate you because yeah. in the long term, it's just nonsense, to be honest. Um, but you don't know that when you're a kid. Um, as I say, you don't. You're you're very naive, and you're 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 constantly learning every day. Um, that would be my biggest bit of advice. Yeah, I think that was perfectly summed up. Don't fo- don't focus on the money. Focus on the prize at the end of it. No, I mean, mm-hmm. look look Absolutely. at the look, look at 
look at the trophies you can win. Even if it's not football, all walk of life. Don't be always focusing on the money and the social media things and pictures people put up. At the end of the day, the majority of people who put them pictures up aren't happy within their own lives. And that, that you need to be happy within yourself before you can be happy posting stuff out. And I think that's perfectly summed up, Patrick. And that's a cracking bit of advice for any young person listening. But just to, to move on, the end of the show on a, in a lighthearted way, a wee bit of fun. I told you to get the try and try and find me or try and give me an ultimate five aside team from players you've played with, trained with, or what's live. So, <laughs> so over to you, Patrick. What what we're going with? Right. So I, I'm I'm going to go with a team that I've just I've played with rather than a team that I've watched. Um, okay. Right. So this was tough. Um, right. So we'll go with uh, we'll play a one one two one. Um, so one, we'll just go. One, we'll go. Two, we'll go all out. We'll go all out attack. Um, right. so, so in in goal, I'll go with Connor Davlin. Obviously, you've been to Clinville games. You're going to know who CC is. Um, he's the best goalkeeper yeah. I've ever played yeah. with. Um, uh, what a player! I mean, would see him with a ball at his feet. He could play centre midfield. He's that good. Um, <laughs> he's good at and, hanging. Like. Uh, unbelievable. Um, so I'll stick big one in at centre half. Uh, I'll stick myself on the bench. And not and not as good as him. So um we'll go oh, no, go in the centre half just because I first tail and, and how good he is on the ball. Um and oh, then I'll go mm. Ono oh, Connell. So Ono oh, Connell, oh, yeah, it's okay. Oh, no, make sure. So he he's um he's a uh, centre half. Yeah. And then the two in front of him will go with Marty Donnelly, who played with at Cliftonville and Lauren, who again you all know. Um yeah. uh, what a player, what honestly. A, what a player. One of, one of the best players I've ever played with. Incredible. And, and, I, and I really mean that. Um, very, very similar to the likes of, you know, Colin McGregor, who's a left-footed, or, but obviously he plays further forward in a, in a 10 role. But I'll play him to say Colin McGregor, so them two will play there. <clears throat> and then up top, I'm going, to Le- I'm going to go with Liam Boyce um, as my striker. Liam so, Boyce? So, again, Boyce is definitely the best striker I've ever played football with. Um uh, ability ways. I mean, he's just scored against Celtic there in, in the Scottish Cup final a couple of months ago, didn't he? So I'm sure yeah. the the Celtic listeners will, will know who he is. Um, anyone who's from here, um, or has watched the Irish League over the years, will certainly know who he is. Um, yeah. I don't think there's been anyone better on the in the Irish League anyway, and he's went on to have a great career. So fair play to him. Um, yeah. So that that'll be my five, and then I'll stick myself in the bench, and then you can be the manager so of the we'll team. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're we're going Connor Devlin. That's why I'm right. Oh no, yes. You said Carl McGregor and Marty Donnelly, didn't you? Carl McGregor and Marty Donnelly, and Liam Boyce. That's such a five-a-side team. That is brilliant. Great five-a-side. They're probably all the best five-a-side players as well. I, there's no way I'm playing oh. in a five-a-side team because you can't head the ball in it. So <laughs> that ruins me. Out, so I'll go on the bench in case one of them get injured. <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic. And Liam Boyce, as you said, he's been like with Celtic in the past as well. So. I mean, his status as a striker in the Irish League, even playing for Burton in the English Leagues, and I open hearts. He's been a fantastic, prolific striker as well. Marty Donnelly, everyone, everyone knows Marty Donnelly in the Irish League scene. And Owen O'Connell, I've seen him play for Celtic. I think he played in the European game against that Hapwell Bersheva team at one he point. Did. And he, he, did. He, put in a, he put in a fantastic performance. But mm-hmm. Patrick, thanks for coming on to the show. Have you enjoyed your time at the end of Celts? Absolutely loved it, mate. And keep up the good work. I'll, I'll continue uh, tuning in every week for the, the podcast. 100%, man. Every Tuesday and Friday. Don't forget that. I'll be sending them anyway. Don't worry. But oh, it's do, been fanta- 
<laughs> it's been fantastic having you on. We've had some great chat, some great insight as well to what goes on, goes on behind the scenes at Celtic Football Club in terms of Barrow Feed and Alex Town. So, Patrick, I thank yourself and tell the listeners until Tuesday when our regular podcast is up. Stay well and keep safe. Heel, heel. <laughs>